<laughs> I'm having difficulty with this too. Okay. Yep, we're live. What's happening, guys? It's the Cycle Shack. I'm Ivan Rodriguez. Tonight, we're going to do something different. This isn't going to be an episode of the Cycle Shack where we talk about motorcycles and more. Tonight, I'm going to switch it up and do something a little bit different. Uh, this Tonight's episode will be on Anchor.fm and on iTunes. You will not have this episode on Twitch.tv or YouTube as I'm having trouble with my video. Again, but this time I think it's due to uh, my internet lagging because we, we got a windstorm. We're in the middle of a windstorm, so it's pretty bad out. So I'm having trouble with the video. I tried going on Facebook Live and doing something, and that came out a little sketchy. So you know what? We're just going to do the old-fashioned podcast where I just do the radio show and throw it up on iTunes and on Anchor.fm. Special thanks to the sponsor, Anchor.fm, for hosting this podcast, or sponsoring this podcast, rather. I'm the host. And, uh, again, the Cycle Shack's about motorcycles and more, but we're switching it up tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about an untimely passing of a childhood friend, a childhood hero, father of the neighborhood. This man's name was Louis Vasquez. I'm going to cut right to the chase. Tonight's episode is just basically just sharing my memories of him. Um, I unfortunately got the message two nights ago that, uh, Louis Vasquez had passed, unfortunately. And he went to be with the Lord, man. He was 61 and uh, had had some troubles with uh, his health. And unfortunately, passed. So, my memory of Coach Lou, he was my football coach. Um, not my high school football coach. I played Sandlot for him. I'm from the Bronx originally, New York City, Fordham Road area. This man was a neighborhood legend. Everybody knew him. My introduction to him was simple. I got home from, uh, I was in Pennsylvania for the summer. And when I got back, everybody from the neighborhood was gone. I went outside to hang out, and I'm like, where's everybody at? Saw one guy coming out with football gear. I said, where you going? He said, we're going around the corner to the park. Now, I lived on the Grand Concourse on 192nd Street. Well, in between Fordham and 192nd Street. And this part of the Bronx had a huge clock. At the time, it was Dollar Savings Bank up on the Grand Concourse. For those of you that are familiar with New York City and the Bronx especially. Uh... So around the corner, we had St. James Park. And my buddy was rushing out with his equipment. I said, where are, you, where are you going? What's up? I'm back. We're going around the corner. We got football practice. Football practice? Yeah, we joined the football team. You got to check it out. Come on. So we played normal neighborhood football. We'd call each other up Saturday mornings. Now, mind you, I'm 16 years old. You know what I mean? I just got back from Pennsylvania from being with my aunt for most of the summer. Um, I was raised by my grandmother, so she sent me away for the summer to get away from the neighborhood uh, in fear of I was up to no good and to kind of keep me off the street. So, you know, again, neighborhood kid, we always played football in, in a regular field, got dirty. We always had our Giants jerseys on or our Raiders jersey, whatever jersey we were able to get our hands on that we could afford that was on sale in Models. 
you know, and, and from from the age of maybe 11, 12 till about 16, we played football on dirt field, just tackle football, no equipment, no nothing. Regular neighborhood kids even played other neighborhoods. So I get back from summer camp, not summer camp, <laughs> my aunt's house, which was like summer camp, by the way. And uh, my friends are all around the corner trying out for this team. So I go, see up a couple of my friends, and they go, yo, you got you to come down. You got to come, man. You got football gear? No. I got a jersey. No, nah, football pads. No. You got to try out. So I get there, and I meet Louis Vasquez, coach of the Gamblers, Bronx Gamblers football team. Now I had heard of the Gamblers, all the older guys in the neighborhood who lived around the corner from us played for the Gamblers, and we always heard the stories, all of the wars that they had on the gridiron on the field, you know, all, all the crazy stories. So... I was kind of amazed to actually see them in person now because you heard the stories. So he was holding sort of like an open tryout to holding practice in the park. And, of course, it was a Sandlot, neighborhood Sandlot football team. I think the age at the time was you couldn't be over 17 years of age. I don't remember, but the bottom line was, like every other Sandlot football team, we had ringers, right? So I borrowed equipment right there and then that day. Went over to a friend's house, Edgar, who lived on up the street, who played for the Gamblers as well. Basically, he says, I don't have a helmet for you, but I can lend you shoulder pads. You got a jersey? Yeah. He threw a pair of shoulder pads that fit me ridiculously huge and said, here, try this. Go, go. So I went, threw on the pads, borrowed a helmet. Lo and behold... Ivan Rodriguez was introduced to the Gamblers. Now, when I met Coach Louis Vasquez, I introduced myself. He looked at me up and down. Now, this man was larger than life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he used to do a walk that we used to call the Frankenstein or the robot. He was a big man. Uh, I don't want to say he weighed about 300 pounds, but he was so tall that I don't doubt he weighed about three, 320. But he looked like a, a lineman himself. You know, at the time, walked with his arms spread wide. He looks at me, he goes, how you doing, son? What's your name? I said, uh, Ivan. He goes, what? I go, Ivan. He goes, all right, yeah, you hit the trial for the gambler, son? Yeah. What you play? I don't know. But we're going to find out. So the bottom line is I made the team. And no one ever really got kicked off the gamblers. If you came, you practiced, you wanted to pay the league fee and insurance, pay for a jersey, you played. Coach Lou never rejected anybody. That's who he was, and I later learned that. So, so began my run with the Gamblers, Bronx Gamblers, or as we were nicknamed, the Ghetto Gamblers. Why? Because Coach Lou took all the neighborhood rejects, all the kids who were in trouble, all the kids who were, who were scrapping in neighborhoods and getting crazy, and some of them were even slinging. Come on, you're playing for the gamblers. 
Nah, 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 don't sit at the neighborhood. You're playing for the gamblers. And he gave us something to do. He couldn't remember my name for the life of me, at least not till later on. So he would look at me and say, you know what? He would snap his fingers and go, you. Yeah, we got to get you. What's your name again? Ivan. No, no. You look like a Chino. Your name's Chino from now on. I said, okay. And the nickname was born. Ever since then, that's what I was called, Chino. So we went out to play for many years, every year. From that moment on, I fell in love with football. I never really had an interest. I tried out for my high school football team, and I didn't really feel welcome there because, you know, it was uh, almost like a club. You know, if you were in with the in crowd, you got to stick around. And I wasn't part of that in crowd in high school. So no matter how good I played, I didn't make the team. But I I made the gamblers. So they called us the ghetto gamblers. We didn't win many games. We did win a lot of games, but it wasn't about winning for us. It was a way to take out our aggression, our frustrations. A lot of us had problems at home. A lot of us had issues. So instead of <laughs> basically committing crimes and doing stupid stuff in the street, we would get out under the Friday night lights or Saturday afternoon and play hard-hitting, good old-fashioned, sandlot football, full gear, full equipment, and we took our frustrations out on the other team. Hence the name, the Ghetto Gamblers. Because we walked in basically at that at one point sharing each other's jerseys, sharing each other's gear. I mean, there were guys that played offense and defense. So when one guy who was on the offense would come out, the guy on the sideline waiting to play defense, you'd have to take off your jersey with your equipment and everything and throw it on him, get him in and play defense. That's how it was. We didn't have sponsors. We didn't have a, a, a church sponsoring us. A lot of teams had churches sponsoring them. Um, I remember there was one team that we played, uh, uh, Tide Detergent was sponsoring them. Uh, we just had the money in our pockets, whatever we could scrape up to pay for league fee insurance. We bought jerseys and we used the same jerseys every year. And it was great. We loved it. As the years went on, I got to know Lou more and more, and he lived around the corner, uh, up uh, across the park. We used to call it. I lived on the east side of the Bronx. He lived on the west side, and you would think that's far. No, it was walking distance. There was a, a, a elevated train, Jerome Avenue, which divided east and west, which was right around the corner from us. So we lived on the border of east and west. So we went a few blocks, and we go to his neighborhood, University Avenue, 190th Street. That's where he lived, in a walk-in apartment. And every Saturday morning, we'd get together there and meet up with Coach. Toss the football outside. It'd be 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning. If we had a boom box, we had music blasting. <laughs> we were smoking cigarettes, listening to music, showing off new cleats, talking about how we wanted to get on the field and go crazy. We loved it. Coach Lou was a great man who took us off the street. 
He, uh, in, in a lot of the guys were around a lot longer than me. My run with the team was maybe from 1992. The team and the group. I say the group because once you became a gambler, you were in sort of like an unofficial family. We didn't celebrate birthdays. We didn't do anything. We were just in like an elite group. Oh, yeah, you see that dude? That that Anthony Brown. Yeah, he's a gambler. Oh, he plays for the gamblers? Yeah. See that guy, David? Yeah, he's a gambler. Well, he would come out with his jersey one day. Oh, you play for the gamblers. Everybody in the neighborhood knew the gamblers. So it was sort of like a club, like a family, like a fraternity almost. You took pride in playing for the ghetto gamblers. And it was but by far nothing like the Bad News Bears. A lot of people would say, oh, you guys like the Bad News Bears, huh? Nope. We didn't care about winning or losing. We'd love to win, don't get me wrong. We practiced because we loved to play. We wanted to win. That was the intention. But if we lost, so what? If we broke somebody's arm, gave somebody pain, rattled them up a little bit, got to hit them, break them down on the football field, that's what we loved. The hitting. The impact. The smell of the field. It was awesome. So again... I remember when we used to go to in the summer, middle of the summer, we'd automatically gather, gather up at, at Coach Lou's house. And Coach Lou's house wasn't, uh, how could I say? It wasn't like it was a hangout because you couldn't hang out in his house. You were free to walk in and say hello to everybody, but you had to come out and go about your business and hang out with the rest of the crew outside because it was just too many people looking to hang out and be in his house. It was that many people this guy knew. It was that many guys in the neighborhood whom he he influenced, whom he coached. You know, he wasn't only our football coach. He taught us about life in general. You know, and, and, and again, I played with the team from 1992. I was 16 years old. And it went on to more things because as I got to know Lou, he even gave me a job. He was a store manager for a, a, a chain, uh, not a department store, uh, uh, what do you call it? I guess you could call it one of those pharmacy chains, whatever the case may be. Bottom line, he was a manager. He gave me a job. I was an employee of his, along with a, about a half a dozen other gamblers. So we got to know and love the man because not that he took care of us, but he was always around. We used to call him the neighborhood father. You know, I, I was raised without an immediate father figure in my life. And, and and what I'm saying is I didn't grow up with a dad at home. I didn't have an in-home dad. I had many influences in my life who were father-like figures. I had about maybe a handful of them. And Coach Lou was one of them. And how he impacted me was showing me about life. When I had my first son, he was he was there. He met him. I would have him on the sidelines with me as I played football for him. And he got to know my family, my son. My sons, eventually. And it was great. It was good times. It was fun. You know, he was a larger-than-life person. The man was about 
the best way to describe him, and I think I was starting to describe him before and I got lost in, in, in thought, Coach Lou was, he was Puerto Rican, large Puerto Rican man, but uh, educated, uh, not Harvard or anything, you know, high school grad, and he was going to college. He was always, always, always studying. That's another thing, too. I always saw Coach Lou with a book in his hand, always had a book and was always studying something. And uh, but anyway, I, I want to say he was about six three, six three, six four. I might be exaggerating with with the six four, but he was about six three, six four. Again, weighed about three hundred, three twenty, and he was a big man. And it wasn't like he was fat hanging all over the place. Had a little bit of a gut, but for the most part, he was a very large man who looked like he could rip you in half. Big hands, big jaw. Um. <laughs> he had long, greasy hair or slick back hair in a ponytail. And we used to call him the <laughs> we used to call him the Puerto Rican Steven Seagal. And uh, <laughs> when he used to get pissed off at us on the sideline, he used to do the Frankenstein or the robot. He'd just wave his hands from side to side, and his legs were just bouncing around up and down, cursing us out. I remember sometimes we used to get pissed and say, "Screw this! We're not winning this game. They're pissing us off." We're going to kick some ass. Anybody got some numbers to call out? Who are we making feel pain today? Number 24. All right, let's do 24. Lou would be on the sideline. Coach calling in a play. Quarterback will come in. Yo, Lou wants us to run power eye right. Forget Lou. We're not, we're not doing nothing. Okay. We're running our own play. We would run our own play. Score a touchdown. Lou wouldn't be pissed. But he'd look at us. When we get back to the sideline, he goes, I know I didn't call that play. We're like, yeah, we know, coach. We improvised. (laughs) You know, and he never got pissed. You know what? The man never even really got pissed if we lost. (laughs) Those were good times, man. Good times. We didn't care about winning. Although he wanted us to win. He wanted a championship. And I remember one time we got really, really close to one. We actually went to the championship game. And this was when I believe I started with them. We made it to the championship game. And as we arrived on the championship game, we got jerked. They pulled out, uh, they made us pull out birth certificates. Uh, They wanted to see proof of age of some of the players. And that year, I think we were fully legit. It was the first year we played. And, well, it was the first year I played. I remember that. I was 16. The first year we played, we had a good enough squad and we took it all the way. And um, that day, we used to take the subway to Harlem. All our games were in Harlem off of uh, 145th Street off the Harlem River Drive. And um, we get out the subway. We're getting ready. We were late to the game almost. And uh, you had to cross the FDR. uh, uh, I'm sorry, not the Harlem River Drive. Yeah, the FDR Drive. And uh, you did that by this bridge cutting across the highway. 
So we will cross the bridge banging our pads. And as we get there, the refs comes up to us. I remember one of the uh, commissioners of the uh, football league. I think it was the Buddy Young Football League at the time. I don't even know how I remember this. But he's talking to Coach. And I see Coach rubbing his head like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He's just like kind of bickering with the guy a bit. So basically he tells us, no, 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 no. You got to tell my team. He calls us over. This is basically, guys, we want to, unless you guys have birth certificates proving all your ages, you know, we, we got word that, you know, you guys are using overage guys to play and he had an unfair advantage. We were like, what? It's not true. Who do you suspect? Well, unless you got birth certificates, you can't play. We're like, okay, none of us have birth certificates on us. And we gave birth certificates when we first started. So they started calling out names. We're like, okay. If that's a problem, we'll sit these guys out and we'll play without them. Couldn't do it. We basically got bamboozled. Something happened that we did not play in the championship game. And we left pissed. We wanted to play so bad. There was only two teams I can remember that we played back then. Um, I don't remember the name of the teams that we played. Um uh, because we didn't care about names. <laughs> but I know the one, the two teams that we hated, uh, the Young Pros was one of the teams that we hated. We always had a rivalry with them. And another team that we played were the Crusaders. They were the rich, spoiled team. They were from Harlem. Both teams were from Harlem. And uh, they were sponsored. Well, one of them was sponsored. I think it was the Crusaders were sponsored by a church. And... We know for a fact they had ringers. But it was all good. We didn't care. We wanted to play football. So we didn't care that you had a guy on the team that was 20 years old, but he was playing it off like he was a 16-year-old. Didn't care. Didn't mind it in the slightest. As long as he didn't mind getting an arm broken, a shoulder dislocated, a cleat in his gut. It's all good. So these are the things that I remember about Coach Lou, reminiscing about football and how sometimes we used to go watch the game in his house. You know, we used to have Friday night skull session. We used to go to his house when we used to record the games. We used to go to his house on Friday nights and watch the game that we played of the previous team so that we could know what we did wrong on the plays. All this stuff. I mean, to describe him as a person... He wasn't perfect. You know, Lou had his issues. But they were never really discussed. All I know is every time we went there and we needed advice, he was there. We would talk about life. And sometimes I'd run into Lou on a Friday night in the summertime, walking through the neighborhood. It could have been 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I'm passing through his neighborhood on my way home from hanging out or doing whatever. He'd be outside sitting up front on a car, smoking a cigarette. What's up, Chino? What's up, Lou? He'd come give you a big hug, wrap his big arms around you, and he'd always give you a kiss in the cheek. He'd say, how you doing, papito? Good, good. What's up? Where you going? And the next word was, give me a cigarette. You got a cigarette on you? 
I loved Lou. He was one of many influences in my life, or about a handful of men in my life who were influences, but he's the most remembered because he taught me how to play football. And I played football for that man from 1992 at the age of 16 till maybe about the age of 21, 22, and still hung out with him thereafter and still saw all the guys from the gamblers throughout the neighborhood up until a lot of us got married, maybe went on to college. Some of us just left the neighborhood. Some guys, I don't know, God forbid, are not alive, not with us because of things they were doing. Some guys maybe went to prison. I don't know. Some guys just came and went. But we had fun. And we saw him all the time. His sons even played on the team. And his son also was named Louis Vasquez. Uh, <laughs> so many stories. I don't even know where to begin. I got so many stories and so many memories in my head. But we used to, <laughs> we used to say his son was a, a steroid experiment gone wrong. Because Louis Jr. also came out abnormally huge. His nickname was The Beast because he had abnormally huge hands. He could pretty much wrap his fingers around a football. He he did everything. He was a total universal soldier on the field. You know, he can play offense, defense. He was a linebacker. He could play a safety. He can quarterback. He can center. He did it all. Played high school football for DeWitt Clinton football. DeWitt Clinton High School. Football was in these guys' bloods. It was in their bloodstream. And I was glad to be a part of that. To hear of his passing, I'm sad. I'm hurt. Because definitely, Coach Lou was somebody who was definitely influential and made a big impact on my life. And kind of showed me how to be humble. If it's the one thing I could say that I took from Coach Lou, how to be humble. He was a humble man. Never really held a grudge. Wouldn't stay pissed. If he was upset, he'd tell you. And then he'd hug you. And that was Lou. In a nutshell. So again... Not your average Psycho Shack podcast. I just felt I wanted to come on and talk about my childhood friend, the neighborhood pops, my coach, Coach Louis Vasquez. Coach, sleep in peace. Love you. I know we'll see you again. Thanks for listening, folks. Talk to you soon.